Well, I think I've mentioned it before, and I'll tell you that I'm still holding out, much to the chagrin of some members of my family. My, I still don't have a smartphone. We still don't have a data plan for, for our phone, and so I have my iPod Touch with me, and whenever there's wireless, I can get access to my wirelessness, but I'm, I'm still too cheap to get a phone with a data plan, so my phone isn't smart at all. Um, but I found out this past week, usually wherever I go, almost every place now has free Wi-Fi for me. I had a breakfast meeting this, uh, a week ago last Friday with three other pastors, and we met at Cracker Barrel. And I found out Cracker Barrel is one of the last bastions holding out on Wi-Fi. And so for two-hour breakfast, I could not check my email, and I survived. I got by without it, right? So I'm checking out, and I'm talking to the lady, I'm checking out, and I just, you know, talking to him about hey, you don't have, you're one of the last places around here that doesn't have free Wi-Fi. And she said, I know, and it's not going to change anytime soon. I said, oh, really? I said, yeah, you know, it's kind of our thing. We like to go kind of old school, you know, old time, bring it back to the days when life was simpler and, and life was slower. You know, I kind of like that. I'm okay with that. But, you know, go back to the old days, whenever they were, I'm not sure life was simpler I'm not sure life was always that much slower. You know, don't go back that far, but go back to the, to the late 1960s. Many of us were, were there, obviously, and, and there wasn't the smartphones, there wasn't the Wi-Fi, there weren't the com, you know, these personal computers always pulling at you and tugging at you. But you know what? We still rushed around. We still f- were overwhelmed by the busyness of life. Because back in 1968, um, a pamphlet was printed by a man named Charles Hummel entitled The Tyranny of the Urgent, Right? We were still, whatever era you're from, you lived in the tyranny of the urgent. All these things in life that press on you for your attention and tell you this is the most important thing that you need to pay attention to. Right? So he wrote in that pamphlet, he said, the greatest danger is letting the urgent things of life crowd out the important things of life. Right? We, might, we may have new things, new smartphones chirping at us, but we still wrestle with the same thing. Urgent or important? Tyranny of the urgent. You want an example of that? Here you go. You're driving down the highway, 70 miles an hour, right? Because nobody ever speeds, right? So you're going 70, and you got your phone. You probably have a smartphone, unlike me, maybe. And, or maybe you don't have a smartphone. You, your phone's sitting next to you, and all of a sudden it chirps to tell you you got a new text. You're driving, and now you need to decide. You need to choose between the urgent, because that phone is telling you, you need to look at me right now. You need to see who's, who's texting. What, it might be a really important message. It probably isn't, but it might be. Are you going to succumb to the urgent and pick up that phone? Are you going to do what's important, which is drive your car? You know, a 4,000-pound missile going down the highway at 70 miles an hour that could kill you and could kill people around you. you know, here's your public service announcement, okay? If you're texting, the average time that your eyes go off the road while you're texting is five seconds. Okay, some go longer, some go short. Average time, they say, is five seconds. If you're driving 70 miles an hour, in five seconds, you travel the length of almost two football fields in those five seconds. So what if I blinded you, blindfolded you, and told you to run across a football field there and back and come back to this exact same spot? My guess is you couldn't do it. So, so I think you know what's important, right? But how many times don't we reach over and do what we think is urgent? We do that in our lives, too, don't we? I, I love what, what um, Dwight D. Eisenhower said. He said, what is important is seldom urgent. 
And what is urgent is seldom important. Yeah, how many of us choose what seems so urgent and we forget what's important? You know, apply that to, not to your driving. I mean, do apply it to your driving, but apply it to all of your life. How many of us choose to live life being controlled by what feels so urgent and we never end up having time to accomplish what's really important in life? So we follow the urgency of our work schedule and the pulls of work and we ignore the importance of our marriage. Or we, we, we follow the urgency of making money so we can retire and we ignore the importance of making memories with our children. We follow the urgency of keeping up with, with social status, right? And we ignore the importance of cultivating real honest relationships along the way. And too often we follow the urgency of the things of this world and we ignore the important things of God. We don't have time. You know, that sad truth is encapsulated in the story that Luke tells us. Take out your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10 with me. Page 1006 in the Bibles in front of you. Luke chapter 10. Here we get, in just a few verses, we get a snapshot of life, a moment in time that really provides us with a, a picture of our whole lives on a smaller scale. Right? Listen to Jesus' interaction with his his newfound friends, Mary and Martha, starting at verse 38. Luke 10, 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that, he, that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Hey, those of us who have read or heard this story before usually fall into the easy response of, of, of criticizing Martha for her short-sighted decision-making, right? Here she has Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, sitting in her house. And, and she's in the kitchen, more worried about, about cooking dinner and keeping the kitchen clean than spending time with Jesus. But as I read this passage, one word caught my eye this, over this past week. Luke tells us in verse 40, he uses this word. He says that, that Martha was distracted. Look it up. Distracted means to, to have your attention diverted from where it's supposed to be. Okay, so, so Martha's attention should have been on Jesus. That is what was important, what, what Jesus, the Son of God, was saying. Instead, her attention was diverted to the bread in the oven, making sure that it wasn't burning. Her attention was diverted to what seemed so urgent, right? You don't want, you, you gotta pay attention. That's urgent. She was distracted from what was important. And you know, we quickly criticize Martha. And then we go out and we do the same thing in our lives. And we live our days, our weeks, our months, our years, sometimes decades, sometimes whole lives distracted from what really matters. 
We choose to fill our lives with the things that in the end don't really matter at all. And the busyness of this life distracts us, diverts our attention from where it's supposed to be, from what is important to God. Which begs the question, what is it that is important to God? What should be important to us spiritually? To answer that question, turn in your Bibles, take them out again if you, if you put them away, because we have one more passage to look at. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1, page 1176. First Peter 1. Here in this chapter, Peter lays out clearly what is important to God and what should be important to us. He starts by reminding us of the most important fact that we need to remember. Start at verses 3 through 9 in 1 Peter 1. Listen to the fact that we need to know. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, the fact in there, I hope you didn't miss it early on in that passage, the most important fact of life that you and I must consistently and constantly remember, that the fact that will shape all of your decisions, all of your choices in life, is the fact that God has given you and me new birth, salvation new birth. So he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New life. You are living a new life through the sacrifice and the grace of Jesus Christ. And that new life starts today and goes for eternity. Right? That transformation isn't something that happens when we die. It's something that happens now. We are born into a brand new life. And this brand new reality of a life transformed by God starts now. Okay, that's the fact. But that fact isn't the end of the story. This most important fact that should be at the forefront of our minds and our hearts at all times brings us to the most important purpose of our lives, right? That fact determines how we live. You see that moment when the Holy Spirit transforms us by faith into saved children of God is a moment of new birth. It's a moment in the delivery room when the baby is born, right? And, and that there's excitement and there's celebration and a new birth certificate is written because in the family of God, there is a new life. Peter celebrates that. But then he points out that that birth certificate doesn't signal an end. It signals a beginning. As children of God, we need to celebrate that day of our spiritual birth. But we can't stop there. 
Right? Being born again, having this, this inner passage, passion and love for Jesus in our hearts and lives, establishing that faith commitment sets us on a path to grow up. Like any good parent, God wants us, his children, to grow up well, to grow up into healthy adults, to grow up into strong people. That's what's important to God, our growing up. So Paul is referring to back in Philippians 2 verse 12, a passage that we so often misunderstand where Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, he isn't talking about the salvation that Jesus has given us. That's accomplished by Jesus Christ, by grace. It's a free gift. He's talking about the ongoing, lifelong process of now growing up into the fullness of that new life that God has given us. Learning who God has called us to be and what he has called us to do. That's what is important in our lives. It is a spiritual tragedy when we go through all of life and maybe we end up at age 70 or 80 or or maybe even 90 and we take stock of our lives and we realize we may be 70, 80, 90 years old, but we're spiritual children. We've never grown up. We might even still be spiritual babies. Maybe we went to church for decades, right? A lot of us, went, we wouldn't admit that that's us, but the church, the church is full of people who are decades old and they're spiritual children. Because we haven't grown up. It hasn't been important to us. Well, Peter goes on to tell us how to grow up. He tells us to keep on learning. Right? Verse 13 in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. It begins with the word therefore. And remember, I tell you almost every time we read, we read that word, if you see the word therefore in your Bible reading, you have to figure out what it's there for. Right? Because, because the word therefore points back at something that they just talked about and points forward to something, kind of a cause and effect. Therefore, because of what I just talked about, now this. Okay, so verse 13 says therefore, it points back to what we just talked about. Because God has given you new birth, because he's given you this new life, this salvation, therefore, verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Okay, Peter says, if we're going to do the important work of growing up spiritually, becoming spiritually mature, then we will start, he says, by learning, first of all, what we need to stop in our lives. What needs to stop? He tells us in verses 13 and 14 that we will stop conforming to the ways of this world. Because that's where our fallen nature Sin in our lives will naturally bring us. It will naturally lead us just to fall in step with the ways of this broken world. It will tell us that what's important in life, that what you should be focused on is becoming popular or becoming rich. Or you should be focused on on cultivating a comfortable life for yourself. You should be focused on winning your sports games 
That's what should be important to you. You should be, you should be focused on being successful in the world's eyes. The world will tell you that's what's important. Sin will tell you, follow the calling of this world and not the calling of God. And that selfishness is exactly what we need to stop, Peter says. The urgent things of this world are not the important things, are not the things that will lead you towards spiritual maturity. So Peter calls us to learn some self-control. So we can stop focusing on, stop getting caught up on and pulled along by the ways of the world by the things that this world says are so urgent. Instead, he says, we need to start something new as children of God growing up. Verses 15 and 16 make it clear what we then need to start. He says, we need to start living lives of holiness. That, my friends, he says, is what is important to be holy, to be set apart from sin, to be set apart from brokenness, to be set apart from the ways of this world, to be set apart for God. That's what matters. That's what's important. God calls us to be holy just as he is holy. God calls us to imitate Jesus because Jesus lived out a holy life. He showed us what it looks like day in and day out. He showed us what it means to grow up to grow up, to be the spiritual adults that God has called us to be. That's what we need to start. Lives of holiness. If we have truly received new birth from God, then we will want to grow up. We will learn what it needs to stop Stop the ways of the world in our lives. We'll learn what needs to stop and what needs to start. We will learn to live new lives of holiness with God and holiness with each other. We will not conform to the ways of the world any longer. But we will choose for our daily lives what is important instead of what's just urgent. Are you doing that? Are you, seriously, are you choosing what God says is important or are you choosing what this world says is so urgent? Think about your life. What, what is the greatest desire that you're pursuing right now? Where are you investing your time and, and your money and your energy and all your passion? Where is that focus in your life? My guess is if we're honest with the answer going through your mind, a lot of us would have to answer, it's my career. That's where I'm focused. That's where my energy. Maybe it's your financial security. I'm working towards retirement. That's what I'm working hard towards. Maybe it's your children. It's parents, my, my kids, my family. That's where, that's most important. That's where I'm investing everything I have. Maybe it's your comfort. I've worked hard in my life, and now I'm going to take it easy. I wonder how many of us can honestly answer the greatest desire of my life is to be holy. The greatest passion for my life is to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. That's my greatest desire. It's hard because the urgent pushes away the important. The things that are passing 
crowds away the things of eternity. The things of this world push away the things of God in our lives, day in and day out. They do. So if we really want to focus on what is important to God, if we really want to be people who grow up spiritually, if we want to be spiritually mature, how do we do that? How do we grow up spiritually? Well, there's a second therefore that Peter gives us. It comes at the very beginning of chapter 2. Peter says, because we've been saved, he's still pointing back to, to the fact that we've been given new birth. We've been saved. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Because you've been born again, Peter says. Because you've been granted this brand new life in Jesus Christ. Now, now strive to satisfy that desire to grow up. Become a passionate, lifelong learner in the kingdom of God. Peter compares us here to newborn babies, right? And newborn babies aren't just satisfied being born, right? They don't suddenly arrive in the world and say, oh, good, I've arrived. Done. Adele didn't do that. Adele immediately demanded food. <laughs> I need something because I want to grow up. I'm hungry. And those children, they, will they crave milk, right? They crave, Peter says. They crave what will make them grow. And they're going to scream at any time, day or night, to make that happen. Some of you have been up all night because you had a baby in your house saying, I want to be fed now. I need what I need now. And I'm going to scream until you give it to me. That's what Peter's talking about. He's saying, as spiritual children, crave what will make you grow. Crave spiritual milk. Right? Crave wanting to know Jesus more and more. Crave wanting to read from his word and be amazed by it. Crave serving people in his name and, and being, being grown that way. Crave wanting to be more and more like him and figuring out how to do that. Have a deep, deep passion for what will make you grow, Peter says. And too often, for those of us like myself who have lived in the church all of our lives, who have grown up knowing Jesus from day one, that excitement and that craving and that passion gets quenched too often we're satisfied remaining spiritual children too often we think that we don't have any more growing up that we need to do too many of us celebrate our first second maybe third birthday our spiritual birthday and we think good enough and we haven't grown anymore since then we've received our spiritual birth certificates and we stopped growing Peter tells us that's unacceptable because new birth is not the end of our spiritual lives. It's just the beginning of our growing up. It's just the beginning of being lifelong learners in God's kingdom. And you know what? God gives us each other to help do that. He gives us each other because we cannot grow up 
alone. Not physically, not spiritually. Right? A baby. A baby left alone. So, so, so you give birth to a new baby and say, congratulations, welcome to the world. You're on your own. No way. Any parent who did that would be arrested for neglect and abuse, right? Because children can't make it on their own. They won't survive. We can't make it on our own spiritually either. God, in his infinite wisdom then, places us in a family, in a community like this. And as members of God's family, as members of his church community, we commit to growing together. We grow up together in community. And this learning together is not just for those who are 18 years old and younger. You know, we often imagine graduate from high school, we graduate from all the learning that you do in church too, right? Wrong. None of us knows, knows God as we should. There's always more to learn. There's always more life transformation to happen. This instruction is for all of us no matter the age. God calls us as a community to be a lifelong learning community. And this learning process goes far beyond just Sunday mornings. Right? Any parent who feeds their baby one, one day a week, that's not going to work. That baby's not going to grow. We grow together as we learn together daily. Sometimes that learning together it comes from accountability. Right? In the community, you find somebody you trust, you find somebody you love, and that friend and that partner can ask you, How's your prayer life going? How's your devotional life going? How are you growing in your relationship with God? Are the important things still important in your life? Right? You have people who can ask you and remind you to keep the important things truly important. But our learning goes beyond just that accountability. We learn from each other. We teach each other because God speaks through each other. God speaks through community. We grow better together. That's how God designed us to be. Like that first church, Acts chapter 2 church that we're looking at. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They became learners because they wanted to keep learning. They wanted to grow up. So let me ask the question as we're about to wrap up here this morning. Are you still a learner? Are you learning? Because the learning opportunities are available. They're, they're, they're right here for us. Are you craving them? Are you choosing them? Are you making room in your life for what's important? Right? I study education time for, for adults and for teens. There's Bible studies offered all throughout the week. There's, there's groups for all ages, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies. There's learning opportunities for children, for middle school, for, for high school. The list of opportunities goes on. Check out the church website sometime and see all the opportunities that are there. And if none of them fit you, if none of them are what you're looking for, call Brent. We'll find something. We'll make something if we can. To help you find a place to learn and grow together. Because when you stop learning together, then you start losing. You start fading. You know, in just a moment, we're going to walk out of this room. And, and maybe not today, but I guess at least tomorrow morning, the urgent things of life are going to start pressing down on you. Your calendar is going to be full. There's task on your, your to-do list is going to be huge, and you're going to start going again. 
things that are necessary, right? They're good things, things necessary for your career, things necessary for your family, things necessary for you to get ready for your retirement, right? Those urgent things, I'm warning you, warning myself, those urgent things will kill what is important if we let them. And so each one of us gets to decide before we leave here this morning where we're going to focus our attention. You get to fill in the blank at the end of your outline if you're doing the outline this morning. Are you going to focus your attention on what is urgent or on what is important? You put in the word. And then it's more than just putting in the word. Then it's together, learning how to live out what God says is really important in life and making that your priority. Growing up to be who God designed you to be. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful for the new life that you have given us. What a privilege to be lost in sin and to have your son Jesus rescue us, to have your Holy Spirit move in our hearts and in our lives so that we can be made new, so that we can be your children again, holding on to your promise and assurance that, that you love us now and you will love us for eternity. Thank you. Keep that fact, that salvation gift in the forefront of our minds as the beacon that leads us in our daily lives. And Father, forgive us then for the times where we all so often let the things that this world says are so urgent get in the way of what's truly important. You know how easy it is for us. The pressures of this world are great. The, the time gets filled with, with things that seem so good that we don't have time for you, that we stagnate in our spiritual growth. Father, give us the courage, the self-control, and the deep craving to grow up, to grow up spiritually, and to become more and more holy, more and more mature. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me as the worship team comes forward? We're going to sing together a recognition that we cannot do this on our own, that the pressures of this world are so great that we and our fallen nature will succumb. We will forget what's important unless God leads us. And so we're going to sing, Lord, I need you. And not just for this moment do we need him, not just for those big tragic moment, difficult moments of life, but for every moment in life, we need him to be able to keep what's important, important in our lives. So let's sing, Lord, I need you.